Okay, Psalm 1 is where we're headed. And uh, as you know, my sermon series right now is called The Ancient Way. The Ancient Way. And this is sermon number two. So if you're writing down notes and you want to have the title for today's sermon, The Ancient Way, sermon number two. And I, I actually do have... That, that's That seems so... So... Uh, so vague. Let's give you, let's give you another one. So um, last week was about uh, making choices, and uh, this week is about authority. It's about authority. So, um, but sermon number two is uh, is going to be, and and I'm asking you guys in advance for a little grace as I kind of fudge my way through this because it's taking a lot of a lot of thinking power. Uh, for me in my preparation to try and uh, approach this from a standpoint where I can deal with objections and um, I'm doing a lot more reading than I have time to talk about uh, and there are a lot more thoughts going through my mind than I can synthesize into a 30-minute sermon. Uh, so forgive me in advance if I dot around the place but try and hang with me and uh, I, I can promise this, that from one week to the next, things will start to fall into place, and you'll understand where I'm going. So I'm not promising this is going to be an extremely well-put-together sermon, but I am going to tell you that I have spent a lot of time thinking about this, because I believe it's really, really important for us uh, in, in, this, uh, in this day where there are uh, many, many competing philosophies uh, that are so easily accessed and most of the time presenting themselves in our in our social media feeds. I'm not sure how many of you spend a lot of time on uh, social media, but probably more than would admit it. Um, we, we, we read through the posts that our friends make, but we also see advertisements and we see, uh, we see entertainment movies and so forth that affect the way we think. Uh, there, there are ideas that are postulated and that take uh, priority in our in our thought process and slowly but surely we, we get moved from one position that may have been a way we always felt about something to another way that we feel about something and things change in the communities around us and so I was uh, considering the, uh, the the sort of competing philosophies regarding morality uh, because I think morality is a big question for Christians. How do we live out Christian morality in a world that, that disagrees with uh, our moral stance? And, uh, and as you know, we've had a very strange political climate uh, for quite a long time. But most, most recently, in the, last, in the last decade or so, we've had a lot, of, a lot of angst, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot more vocalized. Uh, in between elections, uh, not just at election time, but in between elections, that uh, has led us to quite quite a, a schism between um, uh, between parties, and and it seems like it's a dichotomy. Uh, there are you know it's one of two ways: you're either blue or you're red, and um, uh, and so life is always simplified into these these basic. You know, one of two choices, there's right or wrong, there's good or evil, and so forth. And I, I wanted to say today, in a simplification of things, that um, I'm going to be looking at dichotomies as well. So just to simplify for you, because there are, um, if we start really examining things under microscopes, we can find that the lines are blurred uh, between things. And I, I don't want to get into those weeds. Uh, I, I'd rather stay with, with uh, straightforward statements that, uh, that appeal to you from a, 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 a left or right or a, or a right or wrong uh, kind of um, approach. Is that okay? And uh, again, 
this is not an attempt to have a debate uh, with you and to formulate a, a, a convincing argument. I just want to chat about these things. I want to talk them through. And as I'm talking through them here, maybe the Holy Spirit, I pray, will give inspiration. Um, and as we examine what the Scripture says about these things, I want to lean heavily on the Scripture's authority. Okay. And uh, But before I can lean on the authority, I've got to give you this little this little process of thought that went through my mind, and maybe it'll help you as you're processing through your own. So with regard to morality and Christian morality that we often feel is threatened in this day and age, how do we find our way? Uh, how, do we, how do we find a place of peace? Um, maybe you are, like me, concerned about, about the, the, the direction of the world around you. L looked at the newspaper. I'm just going to give you the honest truth, okay? So whatever the outcome of this statement is, so be it. I was reading the newspaper with regard to the carnival in, in Provincetown and seeing the headlines uh, this weekend and uh, looking at all of that. And I was I was saddened in my heart because of the, the celebration of things that I consider to be contrary to the Christian morality and Christian faith, which 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 gives rise to that morality, and uh, I see the the opposition to it, uh, opposing ideals, op opposing uh, moral systems that are celebrated in my own community in the newspaper that I read every day. Uh, it's celebrated there, and um, and while there are elements of that that are probably praiseworthy uh, in terms of in terms of finding. Uh, freedom for individuals or oppressed people. The truth is that there's so much in there that's all intertwined and mixed up that it's hard for me to ever celebrate. Hard for me to ever celebrate that. Because there's just too much in there that I can't celebrate, if that makes sense. And so I end up in this place of saying, okay, I'm, at, I'm, I'm ill at ease with what's happening in my community. And maybe you feel the same way. So in a, in a, in a desire to find peace in my spirit, I, I need to find my way through that, navigate my way through that. Is my way through that to stand up on a soapbox and to declare that something is wrong and to try and change that? Uh, because that certainly has been the way in the past uh, when you feel that something is immoral or something is unrighteous or something is causing other people pain or harm, uh, then those who stand up to speak out against pain and against suffering are usually heroes, are they not? And so maybe that's the way you're supposed to do this. Or, and, and in some regard, uh, maybe you feel, uh, maybe I would feel that reading through the scripture, there are prophetic voices that speak out against the, 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 the erosion of, uh, of a certain value system and the replacement of it with something else. And those prophets and prophetic voices stand out on street corners and speak out against, against the, uh, the gradual uh, erosion of, of, uh, of common sense and, uh, and, and commonly held morality. Maybe you feel that that's the way to go. Well, that's, that could be confusing as well. Do I do that? Do I not do that? Um, what about acceptance? Am I supposed to uh, do what the world around me says? And that is just don't fight it. Don't fight it and try to learn and, and keep your open mind and, and discover that people are different from you and, and so forth. And do I accept things? But, but ultimately, these things have a bearing on our, uh, on our families because 
you may be isolated right now and making that decision by yourself, but then there may be other people in your family that are affected. And maybe you have a role as a parent and your child is going to come and ask questions about that. Or maybe you have a role in a community as a teacher and you're being, and you're being exposed to certain curriculum and you're being told to teach that certain curriculum, which then creates a place of Ill, being ill at ease in your own heart. Uh, do I teach this? Do I make a stand against it? Where, where do I go with this? Am I making sense? Yes. So I want to know, is there a way through this morass? Is there a way for us as believers to be faithful to the word of God, but also to live quiet and peaceable lives? Is there a way for us to be at ease in our spirit, knowing that God is with us and God is in control? And can we, do we have the courage to raise our own children and our grandchildren and the community of faith around us to have influence in them to raise a godly generation that we feel is fulfilling what the scripture gives us as the moral way or the faithful way? And it's very hard to separate out the, the faith of the Bible that the Bible teaches from the morality of the Bible. Hold with me on this thought, okay? The faith of the Bible is trusting that God is the one who makes us worthy, right? The faith of the Bible is believing that God actually loves us. That's, it takes faith. That's the faith part. But the morality of the Bible is the having believed, now we must actually act out our faith. And that's the moral piece. And I think it, it's wrong for us to separate the Bible out from being a moral instructor and say, no, the Bible only teaches faith and it shouldn't be moralizing sermons and all this kind of stuff. I think that's wrong. I think the church should be preaching moralizing sermons, but only in the context of faith. Does that make sense? There's got to be a beautiful combination of those two things. And so for me to stand up in this pulpit and say, you live life the way you live yours, and I love life the way I live mine, and we'll, and we'll be just fine. As long as you have your relationship with Jesus and I have my relationship with Jesus, we're all going to be good. To, for me to do that would be, I would be leading you astray. Because we're not actually autonomous. So here comes these competing philosophies of morality. There's autonomy as a moral um, as a moral philosophy and autonomy as a moral philosophy basically means we're self-governing okay and that's the one that we love I, I mean i don't think there's anybody here who wants to be told what to do by the person next to you all right there is not one person in this room who can tell me <laughs> that they love being told what to do for real we want to be autonomous. We want to make decisions for ourselves. And autonomy, actually, in terms of philosophical autonomy or moral autonomy, is basically this. Let's say you've heard it said, thou shalt not steal. Correct? But, but now, if you don't steal because you believe that stealing is wrong, then that's an autonomous moral decision. Because you believed it was wrong. You didn't do it. And that, in our Western world, in this current era, is considered noble. You're a good person. If you choose not to steal because stealing is wrong and you know it, then that's autonomous and you're a good person for choosing that way. Now, there is another version of morality, and it's called hetero heteronomy. Okay. Yeah. Hetero heteronymous. Oh, boy, I'm going to get it out eventually. Anyway, pick fun at me. 
pastor at livinghopefamilychurch.com. Send me, send me the little, the little uh, uh, YouTube video on how to pronounce that word. Anyway, heteronomy, as opposed to autonomy, means somebody else or something outside of yourself is instructing you in your morality. So here's the, the same version of heteronomy, uh, the same version of thou shalt not steal. If you choose not to steal because you're afraid of getting caught then that is, philosophically, that's heteronomy. It, in other words, it means you're not choosing not to steal because inside of yourself you believe it's wrong, but because outside of yourself everybody says it's wrong, and therefore you don't want to end up at odds with everybody outside of yourself. And that's called heteronomy. And so philosophically, that's not considered noble. Okay? Because really it's not a change of your heart. Really what it is, is it's being conditioned by the society around you. And so heteronomy is, um, is, is for example, a, 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 a strong government, a strong state that says this is the way you will behave and, uh, and, and this is what you can and this is what you can't do. And everybody choosing to do it that way. Uh, and now immediately, if you're, if you're listening carefully, you're, you're already bristling against that. You're like, no, that sounds a whole lot like some of those other guys across the pond. And we're not interested in those fellas and their version of this. We want to choose for ourselves. That's the independent American spirit, right? And we thoroughly love autonomy here. And don't think that you haven't been affected by this in your own moral decision making. You have. It's the, it's the air you breathe. It's the water you swim in. We are an autonomous kind of we we celebrate autonomy as a culture but the problem is that when it comes to christianity and the ancient way the bible presents itself as the authority that is actually outside of ourselves and so from a philosophical standpoint, I'm asking you, if, if I'm going to be preaching the ancient way to you, I'm asking you to reject autonomy and accept theonomy, which is terrifying. Because the concept of theonomy, if it's not Jesus and the words of the, of, of the Lord in the Bible as interpreted through the lens of Jesus Christ, turns out the Bible can actually be used in a theonomous way to bring about all kinds of atrocity. We are inherently afraid of authority outside of ourselves because of the abuse of that authority that we have witnessed or experienced. Does that make sense? And as a nation, we bristle against other nations who impose either theonomy, like, for example, I'm assuming in Iran, where they have a law outside of themselves. It's, it's their Islamic law that governs their whole world, as it were. And we say that's not right because autonomy is not allowed and people can't make decisions for themselves. And in many ways, I feel that way. When we see presented to us some image of women being stoned to death because they didn't wear the correct clothing or cover up in the right way or because they opened a business or because they uh, spoke to a man that wasn't their husband, 
then something inside me says, that isn't right, that isn't righteous, why should that be allowed? And I think you would probably agree with me, wouldn't you? Yes. In the same way, when I see, uh, when I see uh, one of those, uh, w those deeply religious nations take up a stand against, for example, homosexuality and stoning homosexuals to death, the same feeling rises up inside of me saying, that's not righteous, that's not right. How can you do that? How can you declare that that is, that that is uh, unacceptable and the person committing that must die? Yet, the Bible contains instructions to that regard if you were to pick up sticks on the Sabbath during the era of Moses, you would be taken outside and stoned to death. It's taken outside the camp and stoned to death by the faithful because the theonomy was such that the word of the Lord trumped any kind of emotional feeling or autonomous decision as to what was right or wrong. Are you guys hanging with me? Have I lost you yet? So we have a problem because we have these competing philosophies and most often what is presented to us is the worst case scenario in any philosophy. And any argument for the, for, for the predominance of one philosophy over the other is usually thrown at us with a compilation of worst possible case scenarios, worst, worst things about that philosophy and then we make our judgment you know, based on the worst here and then the best of this particular philosophy. And then we say, okay, well, this one must be right. And I think that that's happening all around us with regard to the scripture. Take, for example, the hot topics of women in ministry, for example. Are women allowed to preach? Are women allowed to teach? Can women be elders in a church? Can women be pastors in a church? How do you feel about that? What does the Bible say about that? And how do we make a decision with regard to that? Who's the bread earner, the, the, the wage earner in a family? Who has the authority to say yes or no? Where does the buck stop in a family? If we follow the rules of patriarchy of the, of the Bible, then a man is husband over the wife and he is the Lord over her, basically. And, uh, and she is to submit to him, Ephesians chapter 4 or 5, Ephesians chapter 5. But in our current day and age, that's... That's not acceptable, especially as we consider the emancipation that's taken place in the last hundred years, but even most especially in the last dec decade or two. So how do we actually answer these questions for our children? And if we're going to be faithful believers, how are we really going to tackle these issues? The generation that's rising up around us, the one that's upstairs right now, are they going to battle with this question or are they just going to say, yeah, you know, that was a, that was a, my parents, they made mistakes. You know what? It's, it's, we, we just don't believe that part of the Bible anymore. How do we land this airplane? Because it's running out of fuel. We're running out of time when it comes to not making decisions about important things and not having a robust understanding of the scripture and what the scripture teaches. Here's what I found. When a tough question comes up, most Christian people that I know cave in to the popular opinion.
But I want to say to you, Living Hope Family Church, that we can't afford to cave into popular opinion, whether it be the popular opinion of the church or the popular opinion of the crowd around us and the world in which we live. We need to know who has authority. And we need to understand why that authority is authority. And then we need to ask ourselves the questions, can I submit to this authority? <laughs> what do we do with gender reassignment surgery? What do we do with... with uh, sexual identity, what do we do with um, what do we do with doctor-assisted suicide and euthanasia? What do we do with abortion? It's one of the biggest things in our in our nation in the last six months, isn't it? We haven't talked about it here at Living Hope Family Church because I don't like to address politics from the pulpit, and I'm not addressing politics here at all. What I'm asking you is how do you deal with the issues from a moral standpoint? Where is your moral basis? What is the moral authority for us as Christians? And I'm just going to say categorically, we are not autonomous. The Bible teaches us that we have a God who made the world. And he made us. And then he gave us instructions on how to live inside of this world. And as believers, we have to wrestle down our desire to be autonomous thinkers. Now listen, this is going to be a scary statement that I'm going to make right now. We have to wrestle down our desire to be autonomous thinkers and to be the lords of our own destiny. And we have to submit ourselves to what God said because God said it. It's called the divine command theory. If God gave a commandment, then it's universal and eternal. So God said, thou shalt not murder. And we believe that God gave us that rule. Not Moses, not Hammurabi, not the, the, the collective, but God. That God said, thou shalt not murder. And because God said it, we say that is a universal law and it is unchangeable. Now, I'm going to say that there's got to also be a, a place for autonomy because there are many laws that are made by our community around us that are definitely uh, ineffective. Uh, they are, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I actually wrote these down. Um, they are, uh, what's the word? No, no, some of them are actually, they're good, but they're fallible. They're, not, they're, they're good maybe for a generation, but maybe not the next generation. They may be, they may be uniquely regarding a particular, you know, something that happened in society at that time. They're created. They're impermanent. Laws need to be changed. We need to have the ability to change laws. Unlike the laws of the Medes and Persians, which we read about, if you've read the book of Esther, you, you read about the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which once they were issued forth from the king, they could not be changed. They couldn't be changed in laws. You had to write another law that superseded the previous law. It gave, you know, anyway. But, but the, the truth is that laws are laws written by men. They're created. They're impermanent. They're imperfect. They should be changeable. Otherwise, we end up with a with a, a, 
a powerful, a way too powerful government or state, and, um, or, or even a church for that matter. Any kind of grouping, social grouping that has immutable laws that govern the, 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 the way people live uh, needs to have an appeal process, that you can appeal a certain law. But in theonomy, God's laws, the ones that God made, they're permanent and they can never be changed. They're unchangeable and universal. So, for example, in the beginning, when God made the heavens and the earth, he made mankind, male and female. He made them. In his image, he made them. Not only did God make them male and female, but Jesus gave testimony to this when he was questioned with regard to, uh, with regard to marriage. And Jesus said, in the beginning, God made male and female, man and woman, and they were to be joined together in holy matrimony, man and woman. And that was God's building. He did that. Therefore, it is immutable, unchangeable, divinely commanded that we should be male and female. Or, or male or female. Let's, let's, let's fix that. Let's fix that. Some of you guys didn't, didn't catch that fast enough to correct me, thankfully. Male or female, there is a dichotomy right from the beginning. God made us different and yet the same because we bear the image of Christ. We bear the image of God and will bear the image of Christ. And that is fundamental to our ongoing uh, 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 um, uh, uh, journey as we walk the ancient way, as a church, it is important for us, it's imperative for us to never change that wayside marker that says, no, God made us male and female. Each one of us, beautiful. Each one of us designed by God to carry his image. Each one of us, perfect. Until we sinned. And therefore, what God put together, let no man divide or pull asunder and if we're going to walk the ancient way then that's immutable and when your children question that because the community around them thinks differently because they're being taught differently in school because they're seeing different things on their entertainment and because their friends don't come from families like that we as believers have a choice to make and the choice is The choice is clear. Okay, I never got to Psalm 1. So, anarchy is living without law, no government, lawlessness. But anarchistic morality is the refusal to have anybody tell us what to do. Hierarchy is having a superior authority to resolve disputes or govern morality or uphold order. And the Bible teaches hierarchical order. It teaches hierarchical order in the order of the universe. God, uncreated. Everything else, created. There's hierarchy. In the created order, there's hierarchy. Man is the pinnacle. Everything else was created before us. But man was created as the pinnacle of God's creation. So 
we have dominion over the earth. And that's the hierarchical order. And anybody who says otherwise, any Christian who says otherwise, is misrepresenting God's order. But then within the family, there is hierarchy. And God's hierarchy in the family is man, woman, children. And that's not just Old Testament, that's New Testament as well. So the ancient way gives a hierarchical order, not for dominance, not for power, but to purely and beautifully represent the structure of authority and the levels of responsibility out of which we cannot weasel. When things go wrong in the family, in my family, ultimately, it's my fault. And I have to take responsibility for that. And I cannot weasel out of it and point at someone, point at my wife and say, the woman the Lord gave me, it's her fault. We see that right from Genesis, don't we? And the ancient way demands that we have respect for this authority structure that God gave. And your community around you is going to tell you that's patriarchal, that's ancient stupidity that didn't work even though the world has apparently done reasonably well for thousands of years using that patriarchal structure but no no it resulted in abuse it resulted in the the uh the suppression of women and and uh, and the suppression of the races and everything all is intertwined and it's all the white man's fault and i'm just telling you right now that that attack against against structure is actually so much bigger than an attack against the white male. It's got nothing to do with the white male in the end. It's got everything to do with the rejection of hierarchy. Because if you reject hierarchy, then God is wrong. And if we can make God wrong, then we have overturned the ancient ways and Satan can be king. It's a diabolical plot. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. 
for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I have no time to offer you commentary on Psalm 1, but in the light of everything we've just talked about, perhaps you heard the commentary in your own heart already. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. You are inviting us to choose your word as authority in our lives. As we continue our discussion, I pray that our hearts would not be hardened. I pray, O oh Lord, that the invitation to consider the authority of your scripture would be desirable. I pray, Lord God, that our hearts would awaken because we have a deep yearning and a deep longing to belong, to find home. And I pray that as we talk about the dichotomy between the way of the Lord, the way of the righteous, and the way of the wicked, I pray that we will not be blinded by our own prejudice. I pray that we will see clearly so that we can make decisions for our families that are no longer confused or scared. Give us courage, Lord, and show us your way that we may walk in it. Jesus, you are the way. Amen.